You are listening to episode number three of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. Hey there, I'm so excited to have you back for part two of our mid-year reset. In this episode, I will share two additional areas you can reset in your classroom to end the year better than you started it. If you missed part one, be sure to head back and check out episode number two. And if you've listened and you've applied everything from that episode and are ready for more, then you are in the right place. So let's get to it. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I'm passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You're in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. Before we dive into talking more about the mid-year reset, I wanted to remind you one last time that I'm doing a week of fun giveaways and deals exclusively for my email list. I do this every year the first week of January and I call it cheer for the new year because I just think it's a fun way to kick off the year with some special things and I like to treat the people that allow me into their inbox every week. So if you are interested in being a part and celebrating the cheer for the new year, be sure to head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge and join my list so you don't miss any more of the deals that are happening there right now. And also the free resource you get when you join at that link is going to help you majorly with what we talked about in episode two, which hopefully you've already listened to. That's where we started talking about how to do a mid-year reset. And this is really for both you and your students. I feel like what we talked about in part one of the mid-year reset was really about things that you can do to change your classroom physical space, but then also kind of how you're managing and relating to your students with the procedures you have in place. So I know that that's such an important place to start. But in this episode, I want to jump into part two and really talk about how we can reset the year for you personally as a teacher. How can we simplify what you're doing in your job so that you can actually reclaim your life outside of school? and enjoy the rest of the year, both in your classroom and out. So the first way we're going to do that is we're going to reset your time. So here's what I would like to challenge you to do. Make a list of what you value as a teacher. So what are your goals for yourself as a teacher? What's the type of teacher you want to be? What do you hope to instill in your students? What skills and or knowledge or life lessons do you want them to take with you when they leave your classroom? And what do you want to be remembered for? When people look back on their time in Miss Joyner's class, what do I hope that they remember or think of when they think of that time? So consider what you really, really value. Now, I want you to also do a time audit. Here's what I mean by that. I want you to pick one week on your calendar. That could be Sunday to Saturday or Monday to Sunday, however you kind of view weeks in your mind. And I want you to be crazy detailed in listing out every single thing you're doing each day and how long it takes you. So the way I recommend doing this is having a journal or a notebook or a note on your phone. 
And every time you sit down to eat a meal over the course of those seven days, which hopefully is three times in a day, although I know that gets dicey when you're teaching in the classroom, and I want you to list what you've done up until that point in the day and how long each thing took you. Okay, so what does that look like practically? So for example, I normally wake up at six every day. I eat breakfast at seven, lunch around 12, and dinner around six. And I'm very regulated in that because I have two toddlers that live with me. So they keep me very regimented on our eating schedule. So at breakfast at seven, what I would do is I would write a list with time blocks for what I had done since dinner the night before. So this is the longest chunk of time, but hopefully, you know, you're sleeping a good part of that time. So I would say, okay, so after dinner, I did this from six to seven, I ate dinner, then I did dishes from seven to 7.30, and then I did this, I put the kids down from 7.30 to eight, and then I sat on my phone from eight to 8.45. You know, I want you to be that detailed in terms of what you're doing, okay? And then later on in the day when I get to lunch, I would record what I did from seven to 12. So I ate breakfast, and then I cleaned up breakfast, and then I drove to work, whatever that may be. So I want you to be specific. How long did it take you to drive to work? Did you do emails when you first got there? Did you teach three back-to-back classes for two hours and 45 minutes, whatever that may be? And then you're gonna do this again at dinner. So you're gonna kind of chunk your day into these sections so you're not having to just like record things every single hour. But then it's still fresh in your mind. Now, I know this seems like a lot and you're like, this is not me. But let me tell you something. Please try this for one week. If you do anything, try this time audit. You will be absolutely flabbergasted when it is all written out where you're spending the most of your time or where time is getting lost. That was what was so disturbingly eye-opening for me because I'd sit down at lunch. What have I done since breakfast? There would be blocks of time I couldn't remember. And then when I really thought about it, I'm like, oh, I got distracted by this or When I was at school, this person came in and talked to me for 30 minutes and I lost 30 minutes of time. And it's really, really helpful just to quantify where your 24 hours a day is going. And again, I really recommend doing this over a seven day period because I know things are in flux and every day is really different. Now, the first time I did this was when I was teaching full time and I was blown away by how much time I was wasting answering emails. Like it felt like I was just doing a little bit here and there. Like, oh, it was only like 10 minutes this time and 10 minutes here, but it was really a longer than that and it was adding up throughout the day. And then also how much time I felt like I was spending grading. So I decided to do a major reset on my grading methods and we'll talk about that a little later in this episode. But again, so I want you to do these two things, your list of what you value and your list of what you're spending your time on. And then say, do these things align? That's the first question. Do these align? Like when I saw how much time I was spending on grading and answering emails, and then I looked at what I really valued as a teacher, what I wanted my students to remember, like what was important about my job, those things did not align. Like why was I spending so much time getting lost in emails and this back and forth communication with parents and then grading all these things that really didn't matter with what I was really wanting to value in my classroom. So see where they align and where they don't align. And then the second thing is, okay, maybe they align perfectly and you're great with that, but is the pace that you're doing all these things sustainable? Like if this seven-day time audit was how your seven days looked for the rest of the you know 18 weeks you have at school, could you maintain it and still be in a healthy place by summer? 
So if you answered no to either of those questions, like no, my values don't align with how my time is being spent, or no, this pace is not sustainable, then now is the time to reset your time. Let's decide on what changes you need to make in order to make your lists align and then also create that sustainable work-life balance so that you can thrive in this career and not just survive. Get to the place where you don't even want to put a countdown on to summer on your whiteboard because time is just flying because you're having so much fun. And I know that sounds crazy, but it could happen. So let me give you some examples. When I did this in my classroom, I saw there were four things I wanted to stop doing because I was spending so much time on them and they did not align with my values. So one of those things was I stopped checking email more than twice a day. I decided I'm going to check email when I first come into my classroom and answer whatever is like most pertinent. I found that was important because sometimes we'd get an email from admin about, you know, an assembly or a fire drill or something. So I needed to check first thing. And then I would check one more time, maybe either before leaving for the day or at lunch, but you pick your second time and that was it. I don't even open the inbox again. And if you have notifications popping up, turn them off. Like do not have notifications on your desktop for your email. Turn those off. That is so distracting. That's where you lose five minutes here and there and you lose it 20 times and it adds up. Okay, the other thing I stopped doing was I stopped checking work email at all after work because I found that anxiety begs action. So I found when I had work email on my phone or if I was working on some lesson plans late at night, so I was on my computer and a work email popped up, I would read it and then it would create anxiety because I'd be like, okay, I need to respond to this right now, but I don't have the time or the capacity or the energy or I don't want to respond to parents at 10 p.m. Like I wish I hadn't even seen this but it leaves this like anxious nagging feeling in your mind when you can't take the action that needs to be done. So I would never check my work email anymore after work hours. Like once I was done, I was done because once you see it, then you wanna feel like you have to respond to it and you need to have that cut off or at least I felt like I needed to have that cut off because it didn't align with my values at all with what I was hoping to do in the classroom. The third thing I had to stop doing was I had to stop leaving my door unlocked during my planning period. I love my coworkers. I love the teachers that I've been a mentor teacher for. I love my department chair. I love all of them very much. But if I wanted to not work outside of school hours, I had to be so intentional with my planning period. And so one of the things I had to do is I had to lock my door and literally turn off the lights. And I had my desk positioned in the best way that it could not be seen through the little window in my door so that I could sit there in the dark in my room and get the things done that I needed to get done during planning. And I saved the socializing and the catching up and the troubleshooting on a student issue for lunch periods or when we're sitting at a football game together on Friday night or at a volleyball game on Tuesday afternoon, whatever that may be. And then the other thing I stopped doing was I stopped just saying yes to everything Like I found I had taken on all of these responsibilities and extracurriculars and committees or whatever it may be, and they didn't align to my values and who I was trying to be as a teacher. And I don't know about you or where you are in your stage of life at this time. You know, you may have an easier time saying no, but I found, especially before I had my own children, I felt guilty saying no because I knew like there were all these other people that I worked with that had kids I needed to get home to, but I didn't. So I technically could stay even later and do this. And I would just go on this like guilt spiral. And I'm not saying you have to say no to everything, but don't also say yes to everything. No is also a complete sentence. You don't have to justify every no with a bunch of reasons unless your admin or whoever asks you to. So 
just trying to give yourself some space to really consider things before feeling like you have to do all of the things. And even those four small changes made such a big difference. So I urge you, do this values list, do this time audit, and then consider what are even maybe two or three changes you can make to kind of make those two things align more and audit your time so that you can use it better. What are things that are sucking time from you that you need to cut the time you're spending on them in half? And what I found is that when most people do this, a huge time suck is grading. So the last thing I want to challenge you to reset as a part of this mid-year reset is your grading methods. So use the time audit you've already done and zoom in specifically, add up how much time you're spending grading and really reflect on, am I being efficient and effective in my grading methods or am I not? So ask yourself, do I really need to collect and grade all that I'm grading? I know for me personally, my conversations with so many teachers in my course, in my inbox, in my DMs, the majority of teachers I talk to grade way more than they really need to. You have a plethora of grades in the grade book. Like you didn't need to do all of those things. So really consider, is this necessary? Is there any way I could simplify the way my grade book is set up? I know a lot of teachers feel the pressure to grade all the things because you have your grade book is 10% participation, 20% homework, 30% labs, 40% quizzes, you know, whatever it may be. So you feel like you have to have so many labs or so many quizzes so that you have multiple grades in each category. But if you can simplify the way your grade book is set up, and I love to do just major and minor or summative and formative categories, that's it. That can make such a difference. And now I know that one's a little bit trickier to do mid-year. You can't just like necessarily change your entire grade book calculation mid-year because it would mess up everyone's grades. But it is something to think about now because it is something you could reevaluate before next school year in terms of simplifying your grade book setup. And we'll talk more about that later in the podcast because I've found that such a game changer. Okay, another question to ask yourself when you're resetting your grading methods. What could I start spot checking for completion? I know that there's some people that are really anti grading things for effort or for completion, or maybe you even have a school or district policy that prevents you from doing it. But hear me out. If you don't have a policy against this, I love grading in this way because if it's work that my students are doing in my classroom, I can monitor that they're doing it authentically and that they're not just copying. And so I don't feel like I'm just giving them a 10 out of 10. I'm not just giving them a grade. I'm seeing that they're working and they're trying to learn and I'm just rewarding them for that learning process. Most importantly, I'm not punishing them during the learning process. So consider that. Is there things you could spot check for completion? Or maybe if you can't grade for completion, maybe just there are things that just don't need a grade. Not every single thing we give our students needs a number on it. And I found we need to train students. And I know this is hard, so much easier said than done, but they're going to try whether I'm going to collect and grade it, spot check it, or not grade it at all. I need the same amount of effort regardless. Another question to ask yourself is, how can I better use my school daytime? So your planning period, your lunch block small chunks of time you may have before or after school when you're still physically in the building to knock out your grading so that you don't have to bring it home. I would really, really recommend making that a priority because my goal for each of you is to never, ever bring work home. That is a standard I was able to achieve the last few years I was teaching and it was life-changing for my own work-life balance. 
Now, when it comes to resetting your grading methods, if you aren't sure where to begin, I want to recommend a few practical changes you can make right now to cut your grading time in half. So the first one is only collect and grade one thing a day for accuracy. Now, not one thing from each class period, one thing a day. Now, it can be from an entire prep. So if you have three general biology you know, sections, you could collect the same lab from all three and that counts as your one thing because if you're going to grade them all at the same time, it's like the same answer key can happen really efficiently, which we'll talk about in a minute. But only doing one thing a day for accuracy. That'll save you so much more time and then you can get it turned back to students within 24 hours. You're giving them feedback that's going to really, really help them and it's going to be really timely in the learning process and then you're preventing that buildup of things stacked on your desk. And this includes tests, projects, whatever it may be, spread them out. And so if you have five preps, like I did at one point, that means I'm only collecting and grading one thing for accuracy a week for each prep. Now, I know there's a few of you who have asked me, you have six preps, which is truly insane. But even still, maybe you're not collecting something once a week, but you can grade other things for completion. So you're still getting those grades. And that's my second recommendation. We grade things so that we obviously can assign students a value for what they're learning because it's required of us, but also so that we can know where students are. And that's why I love using bell ringers. I do a very, very quick daily bell ringer every single day within the first five minutes of class. And I collect those every day and I do grade them, but I grade them extremely quickly. And I can truly grade an entire class of 30 students in like under two minutes. So I normally do it during the class period that they're there. So that way it can inform my teaching. And I can also know, okay, these four students, I need to pull aside. They need to come tutoring stat because we do not know how to do a pun square. So I highly recommend doing that. So then you're still checking in with students daily. And then anything else you would be grading would be like a spot check for completion. My third recommendation has to do with labs because this is tends to be the thing that takes the most time for us as secondary science teachers to grade is collecting and grading labs. And I highly recommend only grade one section of a lab for accuracy every time you collect a lab. The rest you can grade for completion and or you can peer grade. So for example, you can say, okay, I'm collecting these. I don't tell them what section it'll be, but they know it'll only be one section. And so then I'll collect them all, I'll read all of their analyses, and then I'll return them. And then I'll have them trade with someone and peer grade the rest. So everyone look at your neighbor's graph. Does it have a title? Look at the y-axis. Does it have a label? Are units there? What Look at the x-axis. Is there equal spacing between the, is the scale even? You know, you give them questions to help them through the peer grading process. And you can also have them do the peer grading before you collect them, because that'll help correct a lot of mistakes. I mean, I know I can't tell you for AP bio how many times, you know, I'm like getting these lab reports and things from students that have first person in them and how many times I'm just like, why am I spending so much time circling first person when this is something their next door neighbor in their class could have peer graded and saved me time on. So only grade one section of a lab. It makes it take so much less time for you. And then last but not least, batch grading as much as possible, but especially with tests, grading question by question. So if you have three sections of anatomy, you're going to collect, have them all have their tests on the same day if possible. You'll collect all their tests and then you'll grade 
open response question number one, everyone's open response number one, everyone's open response number two, and go through it that way. And it's so much faster. It may not sound faster, but I promise you it is. And then the other reason I love doing it this way is it's so much more fair when you are offering partial credit for an answer because you're looking at like 50 to 75 responses to the same question at once. So you can remember like, oh, four people ago, I gave this amount half a point and I gave this two points and you can keep it consistent among everyone. We all know how annoying it is when you're going over a test and someone comes up with their boyfriend and they're like, you gave him two points on this question, but you only gave me three. And then it becomes this battle and you're like, I'm sorry, I've been grading these tests for three weeks. Like I can't do it perfectly. Batch grading test by test makes it so fair and it makes it so much faster. I promise you it'll save you so much time. Okay, that's it, teacher friends. I know that was a lot, but I really hope that these practical ideas will help you consider how you can reset your time and then also reset your grading methods. And overall, I just hope these last two episodes have inspired you that you can simplify your life as a secondary science teacher by hitting the reset button mid-year on your procedures, your space, your time, and of course, like we said, your grading methods. I can attest from firsthand experience how life-changing and how energizing this can be to kind of give you the boost you need to get through the rest of the school year. And remember, it's never too late. No class, student, or school year is ever too far gone or beyond the point of redemption for you to hit the reset button. Thanks for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to follow so you never miss an episode. Leave a review and tell all your science teacher friends so they can listen along too. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.